morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris, and thank the chancel choir. I, I couldn't see them from up here, but could certainly hear them. And song perfect for our theme for this day. We're following the gospel readings for year B in the epiphany season. Most of these come from Mark's gospel. Occasionally, John's gospel gets inserted so that it's not left out altogether in the three-year cycle. But we're following those gospel lessons. And sometimes we'll go a little ways one way or the other from it, but stay in the same area of the gospel. And today, you've heard the story from Mark's gospel about follow me. Now, suppose for a moment it's tomorrow morning, and you might have to really use your imagination if you can kind of think pre-pandemic days, and though we long for post-pandemic days, but if you can think back to the way life was before so many things were curtailed and changed and the pandemonium came upon us. Imagine yourself at home, school, work, maybe you're in a meeting, maybe you're in the grocery store, wherever Monday morning usually finds you, different places for different ones of us. And a stranger approaches you, someone you've never seen before, never heard before, perhaps. And he looks at you, and you have the sense that he's looking right through you, that he can see your soul, see your heart. And then he speaks, not loudly, but certainly not in a whisper. And he says, follow me. Follow me. How would we respond to that? I think I'd be puzzled, and today being what it is, I don't know if it'd be my first reaction, but I'd certainly think, how can I call security? Who is this person that's coming up and just talking to me like that and saying strange things to me? I'd be a little afraid, and I'd want to back off. And if I felt safe without leaving, I might want to ask some questions, not the least of which would be, who are you? And then, of course, how do I know I can trust you? Why should I have this conversation with you? And then if you're serious about this following stuff, what about my home and what about my family and what about my work and my other obligations? What about my grocery shopping? Oh, yeah, you said follow me. Maybe the most important question of all, where are you going? Scripture lesson for this morning. Jesus walking by the The Sea of Galilee, probably not an unusual place for him to be. He had probably walked that stretch of shoreline many times before. Don't know if it was a Monday morning or not. It could have been. And he ran across some brothers who were out fishing. That's the way they made their living, not 
fun kind of fishing, not enjoyable kind of fishing, not sit in the boat all day and relax kind of fishing, but fishing for a living. And I, I can't help but think of that story about the, the old saying, teach somebody to fish. Now, what, how does that go? How does that thing? If you're out fishing uh, and you, you teach somebody, give somebody a fish. There it is. Give somebody a fish. And uh, they'll eat for a day. Teach somebody to fish and they'll eat forever. And the new version of that that I heard, and you've probably heard too, is um, teach somebody to fish and they'll sit in the boat all day drinking beer. So, uh, But this was a different kind of fishing. It was a fishing with nets. That's what they did for a living. They had to catch some fish or... They would have gone hungry. Their livelihood would have dried up. Jesus runs up on two brothers fishing, and he said to them, Follow you, and I'll make you fishers of men and women, fishers of of people. I don't know if Peter and Andrew had ever met Jesus before. And there's some debate about this, and that might change the equation. If they had met him before, if they had heard of him, well, maybe they'd be more likely to follow him. But if it's the first time they had ever seen him, which is the way we interpret this story sometimes, well, would you go with him? Would you follow him if you hadn't heard of him, if you had never met him? I'm thinking they had heard of him. I'm thinking maybe they had met him. They didn't ask a lot of questions. They dropped what they were doing, and they followed him. And then he went on a little further, beyond Peter and Andrew, who were brothers, two other brothers, James and John, sometimes called the sons of thunder or the sons of Zebedee, their father, and called them, and they dropped their nets and they left their father and they followed Jesus. They gave up their livelihood, gave up their family connection at that point, and went with Jesus. It was a big deal. It was a life-changing deal. Somewhere in our old experience, this person who at one time was a stranger to us, Jesus the Christ, called us called us to follow him and most if not all of us who are here or who are listening today did that very thing we reacted positively we followed him we may have fought it for a while we may have put it off for a while we may have said can't this wait lord but we decided to follow jesus the call may have been as crystal clear as it was on that Galilean shore that morning so long ago, or it may have been a gradual kind of thing. We began to hear a whisper and a voice, and it was persistent. It would not go away. And finally, finally we said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. We may have asked many questions immediately as they crowded into our minds, or we may have dropped what we were doing and followed him, and then the questions came, and the questions will always come. We don't figure all of this out in a short amount of time. We don't comprehend the great mystery of who this God is and who his Son, our Savior, is. We struggle with that sometimes. We pursue those questions all of our days. Who is Jesus Christ? And can I trust him with my heart? My soul, who I really am, can I trust him? And what about my former life? Do I leave it all behind me? It may be a life we were trying to get away from and just could never break away. It may have been a pretty good life in our opinion, in our estimation, but still, is it time to put some things behind us? He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and women. 
And then the important question that we all ask somewhere along the way, where is he going? We're going to follow Jesus. Where is he going to take us? Where is he going? But we've got an advantage in some ways, don't we, over these early followers. We've got the written word, the written record of where he went. It's in the Holy Scriptures. It's in the New Testament of our Bible. We know much about where he went and what he said and what he did. And we have received the promised Holy Spirit. Knowing that we're not in this by ourselves, we have a power, we have a presence with us. We can be assured of that. We're not alone in this following thing. The first disciples were the nucleus of the early church. And you and I are part of God's church, vital part of God's church, even in this day and time. Here at Newland First United Methodist, maybe we need reminding of where he's going, what he's doing. And he went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and infirmity among the people. So where is he going? One of the things that, one of the places we know he's going today is he's going to a place of teaching, going to a place where we need to to share this good news, preaching and healing. That's his role. That's the role he calls us to in this world that God loves so much. God sent this only son. He's going about Preaching and teaching and healing. That little song that we learned in Sunday school or that many of us did, Jesus went about doing good. He healed the sick and he helped the blind. To little children, he was kind. Jesus went about doing good. The Bible tells me so. He went about teaching. If we are to be a faithful church and a faithful people, even in this day and time, we're called to be a teaching church. Now, a lot of that happens in Sunday school, and Sunday school classes have gone through some hard times since last March, haven't you? Haven't we? We haven't been able to be together as often as we like, and this Zoom thing, and most days I think, well, it's better than nothing, but I'm kind of weary of it, and I know some of you are too, but it's kept some things together. Sunday school classes in many churches, and certainly in many mainline churches, have been declining for several years now. Sunday school classes are a strength of this church. I'm grateful for that. But there are other ways that we, we teach too. In our small groups and even in our business meetings, we lose sight of that sometimes. That Those are great times to teach about what the church is all about and who we are and how our decisions should be based, based on scripture and our call as, as God's church. Not limited to the Sunday school. But everything we say and everything we do is a part of what we are teaching people about who Jesus is. And even this, somebody told me years ago, and I know it's the case, I know it's true, that when you look at the budget of a local church, that's a teaching tool. That budget tells us what's important to us. What are our priorities? What are we teaching by the way we we spend our, our resources? Jesus also went about preaching. And if we are to be a faithful church, we must find ways to proclaim that word. I consider preaching an important part, sometimes the most important part of what God has called me to do. And I covet your responses, whether you agree or or disagree with what I say. I hope we learn from each other. I, 
appreciate those of you who call and, and email and write and um, let me know what you think about what's being said and what's being done. We can disagree and we can talk about that and we can learn because if we feel like we, we know it all or have it all together, we're in real trouble. But preaching is not only the responsibility of the ordained clergy. What kind of opportunities do you have to proclaim the good news, the charisma, the story of who we are as God's people, God's good news in Jesus Christ? Where's your pulpit? At home, at work, at school. And I know sometimes there are limitations on what we can say and do in particular places. But we can always be kind. And we can always be gracious. And we can always be caring. And the good news of Jesus Christ can come through all of those things. Where is your pulpit? Are you using it to share with others the good news? Are we telling stories about how Jesus Christ has made a difference in our life and can still make a difference in this world if we allow it, if we get on board with him? And then Jesus went about healing. If we are to be a faithful church, we are to be a healing church church. And whenever healing is mentioned in the same breath as Christian, for years now, it's kind of brought up images for a lot of people of these folks who are parading and dancing in front of a camera somewhere and carrying on about healing. Put your hand on the TV screen and your other hand on your checkbook kind of thing. And we've got a bad image, a bad picture of what healing is all about. But it's very much a part of our Christian ministry. And it's not confined to those who, who seem to showboat. And that's just my opinion. But that we can do things and say things and care for people in such a way that healing physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually takes place in their lives. And we can be a part of that healing by caring for one another. And this church does that well, caring for each other and also, looking around us, are there folk in our families, in our communities, and beyond who need our healing and caring words? Words can be so destructive, and words can bring healing, and words can bring hope. I remember one of the first healing services I was ever asked to be a part of. Some of you may have heard at one time the Reverend Barbara Brokoff preached. She was our conference evangelist for a while, several years ago. Her husband, John, was a teacher of preaching at the Candler School of Theology when I was there. And truth be told, I think I've got enough distance on this now to say that she could preach circles around him. He was a good teacher, but she was so vivacious and so lively. And it was a healing service, and it was at the Stockbridge United Methodist Church where my mother and dad were active at the time. She preached on healing, talked about the different ways that God heals us, one of the most enlightening sermons I'd ever heard. And then she invited folks forward to anoint them with oil and to pray. There was nothing showboaty about it. It was a very moving kind of experience. And since then, I have participated in those services. You have here, I believe, and in other places. I know Joanne led those services and Vince and others, and it's important. We mark each other. We love each other. We put hands on one another when that's allowed again. And healing takes place. The brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our spirits and our hearts and our bodies at times. To have someone praying for us and caring for us. We need to be a healing place. That's God's call on our life. A fellowship 
where folks can bring all their hurts, all their sorrows and all their struggles without being judged, without being pushed aside, without being forgotten and find a loving and healing environment. What are we doing and how are we doing when it comes to making this a healing place, not just this physical space, but a healing place, this church, wherever we're gathered, wherever we are scattered. We're called to follow our Lord by being a teaching, preaching, and healing church, not only for our own members, but to this community and beyond to the world that God loves. By our own efforts alone, we'll fail. But when we submit our hearts and our efforts to Jesus the Christ, we really become fishers of men and women, bringing them into a healing place where they find hope and purpose and direction in a world where those things are in short supply, or certainly seem to be. Follow me, he said, and we want to know where he's going. And if we read the rest of the New Testament, it's just amazing, isn't it, all the places he went. I think about the time he went through Samaria. You remember that story, that passage? It says he had to go through Samaria. Well, that's on one level you say, no, 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 he didn't have to go through Samaria. Most people went around it. He didn't have to go through it. But because he loved even folks who are considered enemies, different He had to go through Samaria because he loved those folk like he loved everyone else. He found himself in the homes of friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But he also found himself at table with the Pharisees and those who were considered enemies of his. Follow Jesus. Yes, Lord, we'll follow you. But we get a little nervous sometimes about where you might lead us. Just remind us you're going with us. So the challenge is before us. We know where he's going. At least we know the kinds of places where he's going. Nowhere's off limits to one who loves like he loves. How will we respond? By following him with all of our hearts or by falling behind? Following or falling? I vote for following. And I hope and pray that you do too. Amen.